uh, Luke chapter 1. We're looking for the heart of God in the Gospel of Luke. So what is God like? What does God want? Um, what does He want for us? What does He want from us? And so for Advent, we've gone back to the beginning of Luke, to chapters 1 and 2, which we skipped. And today we're going to read about the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary. So beginning in verse 26, Luke chapter 1. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, so Nazareth was a very unlikely place for God to initiate His plans. This town was not mentioned at all in the Old Testament, unlike Bethlehem. And according to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, Nazareth had a poor reputation even. So this is a, a small town with a bad reputation, maybe 500 people in the town, but this is where God chose to send Gabriel to begin this great mission. Verse 27, He sent him to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Luke is going to mention the fact that Mary was a virgin three times. He wants to make sure we understand and that we know for sure Mary was a virgin. And that's important. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Twice Luke uses the word favor, which is actually the same Greek word that we normally translate as grace. Mary is receiving something special that she had not earned and did not deserve. It's also worth noting that Luke does not describe Mary the way he described Zechariah and Elizabeth just a few verses earlier. If you remember last Sunday, he describes Zechariah and um, Elizabeth as specifically righteous in God's sight and blameless in keeping God's statutes. But he doesn't say anything like that when he introduces Mary, almost to make sure that we understand that Mary had not done anything to earn God's favor. In fact, if I can be so bold, contrary to Catholic and Orthodox theology, we have no reason to believe that Mary was anything other than a sinner like everyone else on the planet. The idea that Mary was sinless or somehow not born with original sin is completely impossible to defend from the Bible because she had human parents, both a father and a mother who were born in sin. And I think it's actually theologically important that she was a normal human being, that she was not different or special in some way. Mary was just like everyone else, except that God chose her for a very special purpose. Verse 31. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Luke ties this, you know, this, this message of Gabriel is a direct link to multiple Old Testament prophecies about the promised Messiah. And Mary obviously knows her Bible well enough that she doesn't question this. What she questions is how it will happen. Not from a place of doubt, but really, I think, from a place of confusion. Um, she says, Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Valid question to ask, right? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In other words, God will make you pregnant, not your fiancé. Now, I want you to try to imagine being a teenage girl, hearing an angel tell you that God is going to make you pregnant and that you're going to give birth to the most important person that's ever lived. And before she even has time to consider that, the angel gives her more news. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has, was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And because most of us have grown accustomed to hearing about the birth of Jesus, we sort of take it for granted. We don't stop to think about how strange this might sound to people who have never heard this story. So when the gospel goes out to new places and it's not familiar to them, um, it's kind of a crazy story, if we're going to be honest. In fact, for many people, um, they will say that the virgin birth is, is really a barrier to belief for them. It's just too much. It's just too outrageous. But I want to tell you that for me, it really strengthens my faith in the Bible because it's so odd and so mysterious, but also so perfect in a way that, that it fits the overall story of Scripture. And so the first thing is I want us to consider that Jesus had very humble beginnings by design. He had very humble beginnings. God invades the life of this teenage girl from this little town whose fiancé is a carpenter, a blue-collar man. No doubt they were expecting a very simple, ordinary country life together. No wealth, no fame, no power, 
just a boy and a girl. Nothing really special about them except their distant ancestry. But in many ways, it's perfect. Why? Because the human men, including Luke, who were responsible for writing all of this down, they could not and they would not have made this up. If you were making up this kind of story and you were trying to convince people that Jesus was the most important person who had ever lived, then you wouldn't make him a resident of a town that no one knows about or has heard of. You wouldn't have made him the son of a carpenter, and you wouldn't make a teenage girl the central character of the story in this case, right? Unless, maybe, this is how it actually happened. And I think that helps me believe it. The second thing is the virgin birth strengthens my faith because of how well it fits the redemptive plan of God as a whole. So why did God do it this way? The answer to that question is not as warm and fuzzy as we want it to be. Now, it is easy because of the way that we celebrate Christmas with, with all the traditions and the, the, the joy and the festivity and the lights and all the stuff. We dress it up big time, right? And that's okay. I mean, you, know, you can find meaning in all that. We do it too. But the virgin birth, we will miss the meaning behind it entirely if we don't pay close attention to what Scripture is actually teaching. Now, I want to share a quote with you by Scottish pastor uh, Donald MacLeod, one of the ministers in the Free Church of Scotland. He actually passed away this year. Uh, he wrote a great book called The Person of Christ, and in it he says this, The virgin birth is a sign of God's judgment on human nature. The race needs a redeemer, but it cannot itself produce one, not by its own decision or desire, not by the processes of education and civilization, not as a cause of its own evolution, the Redeemer must come from outside. In other words, God did it this way because we are completely unable to produce our own Savior. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves in the entire gospel story is wrapped up in that idea that we cannot do for ourselves what needed to be done. If there was some way for us to be holy or righteous apart from faith in the death and resurrection and person of Christ, right? That, that's it. That is God's plan. He had to step in to make that possible. But our Redeemer also had to be human for God's plan to work. Because only a second Adam could fix the problem caused by the first Adam. And so, in the brilliant, mysterious plan of God, He worked out a way for the Redeemer of mankind <clears throat> to be both God and man, born of the Spirit, born of a woman. As we sing, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, 
Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. Jesus was born to die in our place, and that only works if Jesus is both God and man. And that's how the virgin birth fits into the plan of God. But the most important question that this story raises is not, could this happen? Now, I know that people are going to write about it and deal with it and listen to podcasts and try to talk about the virgin birth and all that. I understand that that question is an important one, but the most important question is actually this. Not could this happen, but what if it did? What if this did happen? What if this really happened as billions of Christians throughout history believe that it did? What would that mean for you? That's the question I really want you to spend the next five, ten minutes focused on. Rather than, okay, did it happen? Let's assume it did. What would that mean for you? It would mean what the angel Gabriel says that it means. He tells us actually exactly what the birth of Jesus means. Look again, verse 32. It says about Jesus, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So what it means, according to Gabriel, the birth of Jesus means that a king has been born, that we are his subjects, and that we owe him our absolute allegiance. Now let me say that again because I think this really is the key point today. Jesus is your king. Your king. And you owe Him your absolute allegiance. Now, you understand, the world considers that idea outrageous. Okay, Outrageous that we would think of Jesus in this way. But I want to suggest to you that Mary's response, her humble obedience, is actually a model for us. Now, I don't do this super often, you know, be like so-and-so in the Bible. But this, one, this one's pretty clear, okay? How did, how did Mary respond to Gabriel's unbelievably good news? How did she respond? She said, Behold, I am the servant or the slave, in Greek, of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be as you say. She fully submits to this news. Something that she has no control over. She did not earn. She doesn't, you know, there, there's nothing... 
that made her the object of God's grace other than some other person, that would completely destroy the point that's being made by Scripture. And yet, this was not an easy thing to do under the circumstances. It was a very risky thing for her to accept and submit to this news. It was a risky thing to do because if her fiancé, Joseph, had rejected her, she could have been stoned to death for adultery. And without question, this, this thought would have passed through her mind. In accepting the word of the Lord, there is a thought of risk involved. And I would suggest to you, for this reason, we probably don't give Mary enough credit in the Protestant church. Now, I would say Catholics and others give her too much credit, but we don't give her enough credit. Listen to this quote by J.C. Ryle. He says, No woman was ever so highly honored as the mother of our Lord. It is evident that only one woman out of the countless billions of the human race could be the means whereby God would be manifest in the flesh. And Mary had the mighty privilege of being that one. She was, as Gabriel said, highly favored. And yet, we will completely miss the point if we don't also see ourselves in Mary. Again, just as she did nothing to earn that high favor, neither do we. Mary received this good news that came to her unsolicited and unlooked for. She received it in faith, and God's Spirit came to rest upon her. Now, do you understand that that same exact reality is available to literally all of God's children because of what Jesus accomplished? that that was a little picture of the gospel even in and of itself. We receive the good news of the gospel in faith, and what happens? God's Spirit comes to rest upon us too. Remember, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And what happens at the beginning of Acts? God's Spirit comes to rest on who? The entire church. And did you know that's actually the last time in the Scriptures that Mary's name is mentioned? She was with the other disciples in the upper room. Did you know that? And then she disappears from the Bible. Her role in the story ended, it was completed at Pentecost, because now the Spirit has come upon all of God's people. This is the promise that is given to every believer in 1 John 4. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Christian, do you understand that when you experience the new birth, that is really no less of a miracle than the virgin birth. 
what God did in Mary was a foreshadowing of what God does in every single believer. New life in Christ, ordained by the Father, purchased by the Son, and applied by the Spirit. So if you believe this, the, the follow-up question, if you will, is will you also submit yourself in humility to the rule of Christ in your life? Will you see it as an undeserved, an unearned blessing that God would visit you and offer His Son? That Jesus died in our place and rose from the dead so that God could dwell with us and in us and promise to make all things new. Let's pray and, and thank Him and praise Him for the good news of the Gospel. Lord Jesus, this is um, a mysterious and beautiful and wonderful in many ways outrageous thing that the perfect and holy one would come and dwell among us, that you would take on flesh, that you would become our Redeemer, our Savior. Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would help us to receive the good news and humble obedience and humble reliance that we would submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ in every single area of our lives. You lay claim to it all. And so may we withhold nothing from you. And may we learn to give you praise in every single thing because you deserve it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.